welcome to episode number 43 of the Video Game History Hour, presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode, we'll be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research or lived through it and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. Except this one. That's not what we're doing at all in this episode, because uh, we're going to be talking actually about a trip we were just on uh, in Chicago. Anyways, yeah. my name is Kelsey Lewin. I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. I'm here, as always, with Frank Cifaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. And yeah, very different looking episode <laughs> today, but I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Well, it's like we... Uh, so, I mean, here's the deal. Like, we, Kelsey and I were out for a good eight or nine days or something like that um, on, on a little preservation trip. Um, and we didn't want to skip a week. Uh, of this show uh but we also you know we didn't want to try to record one on the road or anything like that just for quality issues and, and also we totally <laughs> didn't have time we had no time at all um and but also i mean i think this is a good opportunity to because because we're we're not writing a blog post or anything about this trip to just kind of just talk about you know what what this work trip was because i think uh, I think a lot of you would enjoy hearing sort of the the behind the scenes stuff that that goes on at the foundation like this. Yeah, I assume most listeners are people who don't just care about learning about video game history, but also care about what the foundation is doing to preserve video game history, at least a little bit, right? You better. Say yes. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, but yeah, so Kelsey and I were in the Chicagoland area for something like eight days. Um if you're in that area and you're our friend and you didn't know that, um, that is on purpose. We really, really didn't have time. <laughs> like we, we had a very, very booked, uh, eight days. And, um, we and even tried to book some time off and it didn't end up working out. And we no, it. <laughs> we ended up dumping ROMs instead of going to a Cubs <laughs> game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we do occasionally. We hadn't really done so done it so much during the the pandemic for obvious reasons, but you know, sometimes we kind of get the call like, "Hey, I've got some interesting stuff. You should come check it out and please help me figure out what I should do with it. Like, should I sell it? Should I donate it to you guys to a museum, stuff like that?" And um that's really how this one started. Um I was contacted by the daughter of uh of a game producer um who lives in the chicagoland area his name's mark flitman uh if you could look him up on moby games there's a ton of credits and and um his daughter i think had posted on reddit and um a couple people in replies were like hey you should talk to the video game history foundation thank you by the way everyone for being well trained uh, it's in it's so nice <laughs> to know that if something pops up on like reddit or um etc or something like that that i i don't have to be monitoring those super closely yeah. because i think enough people now know to refer people to us and that that just helps me sleep so much better at night i know so, so thank like, you <laughs> yeah we we might not be the first recommendation necessarily it's fine but like like people tend to recommend us when stuff like this comes up or even or stuff the strong, that we don't care about. Or, right, or the strong museum. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, at least there are people who are thinking about this stuff now, which is yeah. which is killer. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it comes up when it's like the Nintendo PlayStation or something. I'm like, no, no, honey, we're not, we're not going to buy <laughs> not, the Nintendo PlayStation. We're not going to spend $360,000 on that. <laughs> we're, we're okay. But this was, this was absolutely the right call because it was like, we don't really know what we have here and if it's important. And um so I had a I had a little call with 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 the daughter because um, 
I'm not naming her because I don't, I don't, we don't really have clearance to do that. (laughs) I do know her name. Um, So, uh, you know, spoke with her on a Zoom call and she was kind of describing some of the things that she had found of her father's, Uh, you know, things like old dev cards. She mentioned right away, like she, he has this weird NES card and you put it in and it's just this 3D racing like demo from sculptured software. I'm like, okay, that's already interesting. I'm in. Um, but you know, I was, I was kind of asking about more things. She, she showed me a little Ziploc baggie of Game Boy Advance flashcards. And she's like, there's a ton of builds of a Dragon Ball game he works on in here. One of them has, has a placeholder cat graphics in it. It's like, yeah, okay, all okay. of the, all of the character portraits are just cats. So yeah, it's very cute. It's, we did digitize it's not really, that one. Yeah. It's not really like historically important, but it's very fun. Like a developer goof sort of thing, yeah. right? But it's, it is fun. Um, I don't think they, I don't think they were planning to put cats in <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. It's just, it's just cute. Yeah. That ROM gets on the internet and just people are like, oh, they were planning like a different version. <laughs> Wow. They were going to make this about cats. That's crazy. Cats uh, named Goku. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I was asking about paper and flyers. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she's like, he's got these faxes from when he worked at Konami in like 1991. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm in. So it was like. <laughs> and we booked a flight. Right. It was essentially like, okay, <laughs> you know, I don't know your comfort level. But well, and also as I'm pressing her and Mark. For like, how much stuff are we talking about? They just kept saying a basement. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, like, like it's full, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> it's just a basement. Um, so it's like, okay, I think it's worth flying out, and I arranged that with with her and with Mark, and um, and essentially, it's like, well, you know, I, I hadn't traveled at that point since you know, MAGFest 2020, January of that year. It's like no, no pandemic flights for me. Um, but at that point, you know, I was vaccinated. I, I I wasn't quite comfortable yet with the idea of getting on a plane, but I, I figured it out and and made sure that they were comfortable having visitors. They were. And it's like, okay, I guess, I guess we should go on this trip, talk to Kelsey. And it's like, we should just make this an extended trip. We should go visit other people we know in the area. Um, uh, not just to go look at things really, but just catch up with friends, right. That, that live out there that are, um, when I say friends, I mean more like, you know, people who, who, who have talked about doing some volunteer work to, to help us raise money, stuff like that. And just industry people that, that we've encountered in the past. And, and we did it. Uh, we, we booked a trip and Kelsey bought our Cubs tickets. <laughs> that that got rained out. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's not the exciting part of the story, but um uh, yeah, so I mean we spent our first couple days. Well, actually we spent our first day in line for a rental car oh my for God. like 3 hours. I, I um, pushed this out of my memory. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't actually 3 hours. It was It, it was, was 2. It was literally 2 hours. I think it was an hour and a half. But it was like I, that might as well okay. be 2. Yeah. It was I'm pretty sure it was two hours. Okay, two hours. I'm good. It was, with two, it was a sold. long time. Fine. Um, <laughs> none of this is important. I'm really sorry. Uh, no, it's important. Was... Okay. Like <laughs> when you go on Priceline, you get the rental cars and the ones $1 or less. Maybe you don't get that one. I don't know. <laughs> like we were in line at the thrifty car rental at the, the, the Chicago O'Hare rental car center for apparently two hours. And we're looking around. And all the other rental car companies, there's like no line and there's people just waiting. And uh, 
you know, tried in desperation on my phone to like book another car and cancel this one, but couldn't. And we could have spent like $20 more and gotten two hours of both of our lives back if we had known somehow. So I don't know how to prevent this in the future. Other like, than what lesson? you just said. Uh, maybe just get the one get that's the... a dollar more. Yeah. <laughs> every time. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did look on our way back out of Chicago to see if that the thrifty line was still the longest line, and it was. It wasn't as bad, but it was still the longest line. So okay. I think I think if we're flying into Chicago, the lesson is don't get thrifty. All right, don't rent from thrifty <laughs> from Chicago O'Hare. I don't know nothing about Midway. I've never been. There. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, Anyways, uh, none of that's important. We <laughs> we spent the first three days um, at Mark Flipman's house. And, uh, you know, first day is just kind of like, let's show you around, like, let's take inventory of everything that's here. Um, he obviously had a lot of, like, he kept a copy of every game he worked on. So he had some, you know, some very nice, like a very nice collection of retail stuff that not of interest to the foundation, but, um, you know, occasionally we, if people want people express like, Hey, I am trying to get some money out of this. Like we can be helpful in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is not the first time we've encountered this, you know, we, we, I don't know, throughout my 20, whatever years of doing this, um, I've always had an honesty policy, right. And where it's like, um, yeah, okay. We could take this if you want, but you know, eh, you could make money instead and then it's not going to break my heart just so you know and 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 so yeah there's there were plenty of retail games that he kept that's sort of where we started the tour but um what i didn't expect was that he had a long career um in toy making as well and he had a lot of interesting toy stuff upstairs yeah um, too yeah well and um i mean you know we're, we're still working with him as sort of an ongoing thing because uh obviously we we deal in information, right? Like we don't care about the retail stuff. Mm-hmm. We just want to be able to give people access to the interesting materials so that they can tell interesting stories. Um, and he had some of that for not just video games, but also for toys. So, uh, you know, that's something we're going to try to help him find the right home for as well, yeah. which, is, which is probably the strongest, yeah. But yeah, he had some really cool stuff toy-wise. Like he showed us a giant like blank white my little pony um and i didn't look into the name of the show or anything i don't know if you did but it, apparently they had manufactured a few of these to send out to uh artists and graphic designers um all of whom were women for for some ex- exhibition that they put yeah, on he had, and he had photos of the exhibition that i found in a folder but i i don't remember the name oh, of I didn't it, see but it was, but it was really uh, cool but yeah, I mean, he had a couple of blank ones of those. It's like, oh, that's that's really cool. Um, he worked on a lot of the uh, Littlest Pet Shop um, electronics. So mm-hmm. things like, um, they like little kind of, I mean, I say Tamagotchi-like only so you get a reference of like the size and what the screen looks like. But I mean, that sort of, it, but they were different. They were more game, game-like than, uh, ra- you know, pet raising simulators. Uh, but he worked on all of the like Littlest Pet Shop electronics uh while he was there so he has like design documents and prototypes for those toys which is you know it, we're video game historians it's it, but we can still see like how cool something like that is yeah, and totally, can, right? can imagine what that would be for a toy historian you know well and he, uh, what i appreciated is that he had 
well, I mean, so we're in the basement at this point. So he's got a big basement, um, you know, with shelves and shelves of this kind of things and tubs. And um, he like hoarders, the not, not the right word at all. Like, like Mark is someone who recognized value really early on. Um, and it's for, organized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah it, but I've, the point is, all the stuff that he has is like of value, uh, either sent- sentimentally or historically or even monetarily, right? Like nothing in there is junk. He has just a basement full of really cool stuff. Yeah. The oldest stuff, I mean, well, you know, like this goes all the way back to him working at video stores in the early 80s, right? Right. So like he had, he had like promo video stuff. Um, he had, well, he had a, like a Back to the Future standee from right. the original release and yeah. you know it, it didn't he have like a like an et poster and like a star wars poster or something yeah, like, and yeah he had he, like some some things that i have absolutely like i'm not a movie memorabilia person whatsoever but i assume are of interest to that that crowd right um well my my favorite was um he has he had a shelf that's sort of like this is marketing stuff and he had a box that said Beverly Hills Cop 2 on it, the logo, you know, the Eddie Murphy movie. Um, and I opened up the box and it was full of Beverly Hills Cop 2 branded matchbooks <laughs> that that the store could give out in the 80s. And I, and I, I was like, Mark, this has got to be the only intact box of Beverly Hills Cop 2 matchbooks still in existence. And he said, no, it's not. And he pulled out another one. <laughs> So that's uh that's the kind of character mark is um but yeah i think we were in that basement for like three days just kind of sorting things out because it was essentially like you know things were nicely labeled etc but it was like pins shirts and 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 they kind of crossed throughout his career and and even fandom right of uh of liking comic books and and uh, working in games, working sports, in, in, memorabilia, right? Yeah, a lot of that stuff. So um, we spent a long time just kind of sorting out the game stuff, just to see what was there and what the action plan would be. Because really, the point of being there at all was helping him figure out what he has and what he should do. Like, like should he sell all this stuff? Should he should he donate it to an archive? Should we digitize some of it? Um, so. I mean, where do we even go from here? Like, there's should we just talk about a lot of the game stuff we found? Yeah, I mean, so just so everyone's clear, I mean, the obvious conclusion is that, yes, we are going to digitize a lot of it. We already have done some of it. Um, We are we are going to have to return um, because there's just there's a lot. Um, But yeah, I mean, we should just talk through some of the stuff that we found there because, I mean, he was a. He was at Konami. He was at uh, wait, Atari. Wait, wait, like pop, pop quiz. Let me see if I can go through his career. Okay, yeah, because you can order. do it in order. I think yeah. I can. So it was Mindscape and then Konami. So Mind, sorry, Mindscape like 89, 90. Konami like 90 to 92. Um, a, pulling up to his New York. games. Hold on. Yeah, go go for it. <laughs> Should I wait for you? Uh. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So, so Mindscape, you Mindscape, Mindscape, you NES days like eighty nine, ninety. Uh, onto Konami like ninety to ninety two, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, producing games, he's producing like Tiny Tunes, Tiny Tune Adventures, stuff like that. I think one of the Ninja Turtles games. Um, I think from there he moved to Long Island, New York, to work at Acclaim. 
Um, and then he was there until maybe 98. And then he got a call to go back to Mindscape, but this time in the San Francisco area. Uh, I believe after that was EA. Midway. There's Midway no was the next one? Yeah. I thought he was no EA, EA for a minute. Okay. Um, I was trying to fit EA in there because I thought he was there for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So then Midway, I guess, was after that. And then um, uh, from there was Hasbro slash Atari, but mostly on the toy side, but a little bit of interactive. So, yeah. Yeah. He did, he did some games at Atari, kind of like Game Boy Advance era. Yeah, and, and that's where the video games end, and then he's mostly toys after that. Um, right. So, well, you 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 basically nailed it. You okay. just added an EA in there for some you reason. Sure, he wasn't at EA. It's not on his Moby games. So, and okay. I didn't see anything EA related when we were going through his stuff. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still stuck in there. I don't know. Um, so, most of his output was console games. A uh, little bit of PC at Konami, which is kind of cool. Like like. Bart's House of Weirdness and Ninja Turtles, Manhattan Mission, stuff like that. Uh, What'd you say? I said and at Mindscape. That's true. Uh, Not not as like a production role, but like to your point. Yeah, he he was testing. uh, No, no. When he went back to Mindscape. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But the early his earliest days, he was testing games for like the Commodore and stuff like that. The first game he actually worked on in some capacity was Dirty Harry on the NES. Um, He... (laughs) was essentially a tester role at Mindscape, but he went out to the studio. Um, I think it was the Canadian studio, right? Or was that the, was that Gremlin? Or, I don't know. Whatever studio it was, he, tr- he, fl- he flew out to help him sort of finish it up, and he did some level design while he was there. And um, he has his paper-drawn maps <laughs> of Dirty Harry from designing the game, which is really cool. Um, but yeah... Um, so I don't know. I, I guess the paper, right, is is sort of the the biggest thing of interest to us, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of things in there. I think the thing that maybe listeners will appreciate the most is, um, like, there were a lot of faxes from Konami Japan when he yeah. worked at Konami. You know, you don't normally get a lot of insight into the Japanese companies that are actually developing these games, um, especially at this time period. So even just having like a a kind of a thick stack of faxes is very illuminating in terms of, you know, what the work culture was like and um, how they developed games and what they sent to their U.S. partners and that sort of thing. Yeah. So we got a lot of really cool um, stuff out of that. And some of it that's some of it's that's pretty funny. Well, that's the thing with the faxes. <laughs> he didn't like save every fax. He just had a file that was like funny faxes. So yeah, but... <laughs> like, like the Konami stuff was all just funny. Like there's a fax. uh alerting the company that like the Konami van caught fire and is gone now. Uh, but it wasn't Konami's fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the essence of the facts. There was um, a, something about the laser scope where they named and shamed an employee for having too big of a head yeah. to fit. The, <laughs> like, oh, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but they were like, uh, and they called him a big head. Yeah. Unless you're like Tommy big head over yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think the best one for everyone was the 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 Konami song. Yes. So uh, which we which he had a copy of and we did digitize. Yes. It might have so, already been online, but it was not. It was not. Oh, okay. Um, so in '91, uh, yeah, he, Konami to all the employees sent you know a message, um, letting them know that you know we we've uh, commissioned 
a song to help encourage you in your work. Um, it's a brand new Konami song. Um, it's just like a ballad singer that the president of Konami happened to really like is the impression that I got. That's the impression I get too, right? But and it's it's a very boring song. It's not like Konami. No, it's you know, it's like it's a very boring sort of ballad, right? But but he had it on CD and um he let us crank the crack the shrink wrap on it, which is very kind because it wasn't online. Um I did I, I did uh in our kit, which was which was 75% there, I would say, our, our road kit. We, we learned some things that we need. But in our kit, I did bring a, a disk drive that could do the sort of low-level reads required for accurate audio reading. So we got a proper flack through, uh, through EAC of the Konami song, both the, uh, the lyrical and the instrumental. And uh, he had uh, paperwork that was like, you know, explaining the song. And it's like, We'll be playing it in the lunchroom today, so you can hear it, and you'll all get your own copy. Here's a translation of the lyrics. Um, I think they were about stars or something. Yeah, remember? something about the the stars are always shining, even when you can't see them. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's supposed to be inspirational. So that's why you should crank out another Castlevania. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I don't think it gets too much more charming than that. That's, that's got, I don't know. There's some good stuff in there. I mean, he had, you know, what he had a lot of was reference material. Yeah. Um, and specifically reference material that licensees would send him. I mean, like, like, like what comes to mind for you, Kelsey, when I say that? Well, I mean, he got some movie scripts for some of the, uh, and then revisions on those movie scripts for some of the, uh, like comic book games and stuff that he oh my was God, There's producing. like six revisions to Batman forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, well, if we're talking about the, the major one is the unreleased game that he worked on, which is the uh, Marvel 2099 yeah. game, which they sent just an absolutely ridiculous amount of reference material. Yeah. For. So 2099, you're probably not too familiar yourself, Kelsey, but nope. I'll explain to you and also listeners. It was, uh, yeah, you know what Marvel Comics is and there's, there is a universe of characters and, and, they started a new universe in the nineties called 2099. And it was like what the Marvel universe will be like in a hundred years. Um, and it just looks so, like weird versions of all of yep. the, so like Spider-Man 2099 is like, he's got weird costume design. It's, like, Cause I would have assumed it's like them all grown up, but instead it's just like, no, it's a hundred years later. Oh, it's a new generation. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new, the new Hulk. For some reason they he's all still now. exist, but they're different. Yeah. The, the, it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the biggest power that a superhero has, Kelsey, is is their legend. Mm. So that legend has to live on even when the body doesn't. So did someone else just be like, like try to find a radioactive spider? And I didn't hope read it this crap. Out? I, don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so essentially, you know, Marvel had character designs for tons of twenty ninety nine characters, and and one of the games that Mark was spearheading at, uh, I think, it was for Mindscape, right? Like he. He was at Acclaim and he went to my, I don't know, this Acclaim was... or Mindscape um, was a, was in the 2099 universe. So he had a lot of reference for that. Yeah, it was Mindscape. Um, it was Mindscape. What, what comes to mind more for me was the reference material for the Simpsons stuff he was doing mm, um, yeah. for Konami uh, because he had um, from whatever the Simpsons studio was, Gracie or whatever it was, uh, he had basically what looked to me like all of the character model sheets and designs from the first season of the Simpsons specifically. 
So, you know, really interesting because that's the season where there are incidental background characters that don't have names. <laughs> You know, like there's no such notion of that in The Simpsons anymore, right? Like anyone in the background is like, oh, that's Nelson. That's a person. That's, that's, yeah. that's Ralph Wiggum. But like back then it was like you had the Simpsons family and, you know, Mr. Burns and Krusty the Clown and like almost everyone else was just a background character with no name. Um, so seeing designs for those is really cool. Um, he had some drawings that Matt Groening did for him, uh, which... I, I imagine Matt in 91 was probably appreciative because Matt, because uh, Mark was a fan of Life in Hell, his comic strips. So he's like, can you draw Binky for me? So Matt was probably like, oh, you're not asking for Bart. That rule. And it's actually funny. There was, remember the envelope? Oh, yeah. It was absolutely. We're like, that handwriting. I'm That's the Simpsons pretty logo. Sure, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Matt Groening just wrote this. Just so it was like himself. to Mark Flipman at Konami <laughs> and then the address and stuff. It's like Mark, uh, Matt Groening doing it himself. Um, yeah, that was good stuff. Um, I think my favorite paper was the the complete design document from Japan for Tiny Toon Adventures on the NES. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. There's a lot of drawings in there that I don't think are in the manual or anything like that. Um, he had tons of paper design for all kinds of games he worked on like a lot of harbinger yeah yeah harbinger there's also um because he was a a producer there's a lot of like just pitches and that sort of thing in there i mean some of which have very fleshed out design documents some which are just like a one-page pitch but i mean it's sort of it's pretty illustrative of like, here's what they were thinking about at this time period, even if a lot of them never made it further than that, you know, like there's some insight on that, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And I mean, you know, on that note, there's, there's interesting scripts he has for things that never got produced. Um, So he has a Watchmen script that I don't know if they were, you know, in the like late nineties trying to do a Watchmen game or something potentially, or, um, uh, and, and it's it's a known script. It was the Sam Ham script. If you're if you're in, if you're familiar with that stuff, um, he had a script for a Sergeant Rock movie. I wasn't aware of. I just talked to Mike Mike about it. He's like, oh yeah, Schwarzenegger was going to be in that. It's like, okay, I guess that's known. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you know the, whoever he was working for at the time was considering like a tie-in movie, a uh, game. I mean, that didn't happen. Um, but uh, yeah, all kinds of interesting paper. A um, lot of like pins from ces like mark's someone who really likes toys and gadgets and just grabbing you know fun stuff from shows so he, he kept a lot of those pins and t-shirts um, and hats and that yeah. sort of thing too so you know not not all of which may be you know might need to end up with us but uh, yeah of course i mean we i don't know if we care that much about the yeah. shirts they're cool but um they provide context but they do they also... yeah i mean they're they're not unimportant they're just less important than the paper if we're yeah if we're ranking things right well i so, mean like you said we collect information right like, yeah. that's our that's our collection um and you know what information is power so <laughs> we collect power um wow. but yeah i mean i mean i think the some interesting shirts that come to mind are like he had a a very small print run of shirts for the 2099 project that no one ever saw um because no one ever saw that game <laughs> right um i can't remember. he didn't have a bubsy shirt no he, no, he did yeah, yeah he had a bubsy two shirt i think um, oh okay 
because oh yeah, the, it was like the he's back one. We went to right. two basements in a row that had Bubsy shirts, yeah. so we we mix them up. <laughs> oh, we had the Bubsy plush. Yeah, I know, and unfortunately, the grail. <laughs> unfortunately, his daughter recognized that that's not something he should donate to us, so we're a, <laughs> we're a little sad about that, but. Uh... <laughs> Someday, if, we we I, we say that jokingly. I mean, yeah. you know, like we uh, we we have a small Bubsy collection that we're we, proud of. We do so. not literally need a Bubsy plush, but no. if you could see video of right now, um, behind Frank is sort of uh, the There's Bubsy, a Bubsy collection. Standee. There's a Bubsy mug. There's a Bubsy <laughs> got a couple pin buttons inside. and pins. If and, I turn yeah. the camera around, there's that well, poster for the cartoon pilot. There's no camera yeah. for these guys listening. But... Well, it is for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we, I mean, we ironically like Bubsy around here. So to I mean to sort of wrap up the Mark stuff. I mean, we ended up on on the last day, just taking full inventory of what it is that we feel needs to be digitized. Well, um, even jumping ahead a little bit because before that we did sit down and digitize all of his EPROMs. That's true. Um, and there was some cool stuff in there. I mean, we haven't had any time to dissect anything yet, but. Um, some things that come to mind, there was uh, there was that Park Place Productions um, football demo for the Super Nintendo that never became a project. Right. Um, that one's was... that one's known. We don't yeah, know yeah. if it's um, In fact, known, I but... dumped the original yeah. one too, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, uh, what else? There was that 3D racing demo we mentioned uh, for the NES that was... It's literally like, here's it's what a, a 3D racing F1 game might look like. There's no yeah. game there, but uh, it's from Sculpture Software. Very cool. He thinks it was probably from a claim, like they're just kind of pitching their tech to him. Um, there, there was an unreleased Game Boy game uh, that is right. from Spidersoft, and it's Blackjack in Solitaire. And while it doesn't say this name, it's Poker Face Paul. It is. It's the same. <laughs> it's the exact same like graphics, just in black and white. It's got the same dude in the game. Yeah, um, which may or may not be Paul. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Kelsey, would anyone care about those four gambling games on the Game Gear if they weren't called Poker Face Paul? I don't think so. And I think even in my head, I give them inflated importance because that name... Well, I mean, not only does it have a good name, but also then I had a coworker named Paul that we called Poker Face Paul for a long time. (laughs) So uh, yeah, in my head, it's like probably a much more important game than it ever actually was. It's such good marketing. Yeah. Calling these generic gambling games poker face Paul's blank. Like I I That's not a person, by the way, as far no. as I know. Like there's there is no real poker face Paul. Right. Uh and if you didn't know, there's no Mavis Beacon. You were you were while you were being taught typing, you were also taught lies. I'm sorry. Oh. Um really thought Mavis Beacon was like, oh, she must be like the typing yeah. champion. Yeah, she must have some credentials, like a, a I don't know. Nope. Much like Carmen Sandiego, she was made up. She's a marketing figment. Um, so other EPROMs. Oh, the, I think the best thing was uh, a Game Boy demo. Do you want to describe that one? Yeah, so it's a Game Boy demo um, from Argonaut, which uh, is the studio that worked on like Star Fox, famously. It's the, the British studio that worked with Nintendo in the early days. Um, and if you guys are familiar with the Game Boy game that came out only in Japan called X, um, it's basically a demo showing off the 3D capabilities Argonaut can do on the Game Boy. And it's got some just straight up X levels in it. I mean, it's it's showcasing 
here's what we can do in 3D, not just through, um, you know, not just through X, but also through, uh, they just had some wireframe models of various things like a Game Boy. So on your Game Boy, you can look at a 3D wireframe model of a Game Boy. They had um, another demo that was basically like, uh, what's the Atari game? Battlezone? Yeah. The, the tank. Little, yeah, it's it yeah. basically, you know, an on-ground 3D Battlezone kind of thing. And, and again, it's just to show the tech, right? Yeah, it's, it's just like a it's just a very, part. exactly. It's a simple demo of all of these things. None of, our, none of them are fleshed out or complete. Um, but, you know, right on the title screen, it says programmed by Dylan Cuthbert, who, again, went on to work on Star Fox and um, X and, uh, you know, now has his own studio in Japan. So real good Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, I think we yeah, we we absolutely got through all of the prompts. Uh, those are the ones that were like notable. There's, you know, a bunch of Super Nintendo stuff I haven't looked at at all like the. I, I, like I assume most of I mean, Jelly Boy. And- yeah. And a lot of those are <laughs> like Plock, for example. You know, he had nothing to do with Plock. I think it was just though it was just, you know, the Pickfords being like, hey, we just finished our new game. Here it is sort of thing. And right. we're looking for a new project. So um, so I, I don't presume that a lot of what we look we digitized was like um anthropologically interesting (laughs) you know they're probably actually like fleshed out finished games probably literally final in most cases but um either we or someone else will take a look eventually we just haven't gotten around to like seeding them out to hidden palace or whatever yet um but yeah i mean sorry i interrupted you so we did digitize that stuff Mm -hmm. um and then we just kind of scoped out what it would take to do the rest of this stuff because you know when we're on when we're talking to people like this there's a couple different things that can happen um occasionally people really do just want it gone and it can come with us and we can figure out the digitization like not right there right then on site um and sometimes you know this is their life work and it's important to them and they want to at least um they want to keep some of it or all of it, or at least keep a copy or something. And, and that's sort of the case that we ran into here, um, which we absolutely want to respect. Um, but he still obviously wants to see the information go to a good home and have a play. Like he wants this stuff to be accessible. He's, oh yeah. Yeah. That's the cool thing about Mark. He's like, yeah, just put it all online. Yeah. <laughs> he's very, he's very open to having people access this stuff. Um, yeah. That's definitely what he wants for it. But a lot of it, I mean, he does, it's important to him and he also wants to keep and that's, that's totally fine. So our next step um, is, you know, we sort of figured out what tools we're going to need and what time commitment it's going to take for us to get back there and actually digitize uh, the things that, are like the important information. I mean, it's really all of the information. We're not going to just arbitrarily yeah, skip anything. I mean, but... the one that scares me the most is the videotape. Um, there's a lot of it. Right, and which we didn't talk it, about yet. Yeah, some of it has succumbed to mold. Um, which is The VHSs, really yeah. yeah. Um, and we've given them some, you know, actionable items they can do on that. I don't know if they're pursuing it or not, or if it's going to be something we're going to have to pursue when we come back. Um, but I mean, like these tapes... Are, I don't I don't remember if he necessarily was like I'm at E3 here's footage but uh, he did have tapes where he like visited studios he was working with and he'd just like go to people's desks and be like hi what's your name what do you do here and you know and, and there's nothing like who did that there's nothing like that that's <laughs> enormous that's such important information uh, and 
yeah, I mean, we're, we're just, we're very lucky that Mark was the kind of person that both held on to things and also was really into production of all kinds of things, not just video games. He, yeah. he liked video production as well and, uh, and writing. And so he's. And also he just liked some cool stuff. Like he, he, yeah. he became friends with Todd McFarlane cause they were working on some game deals and Todd just sent him a bunch of stuff. Like he's got, he's got an unproduced spawn sweatsuit. <laughs> <laughs> with like a note saying there were only five of these. Um, uh, like Todd sent him, he, Todd had hardbound spawn one through 12 for like friends and family and sent Mark two of them for some reason. Um, so, I mean, what else? He, like if, if you're into comics, something I thought was really cool was uh, Mark was into Watchmen like when it came out in 86. Um, and he bought the hardbound edition that came out in like 87 or whatever, which was not a common thing, by the way, you didn't get like hard bound comic collections back then. Um, but they did one for Watchmen and, um, he managed to get it signed separately by, uh, Dave Gibbons, the, the artist and Alan Moore, the writer, which I don't, I don't, I doubt there's very many of these that are signed by both, especially signed by both a long time ago. Um, so that was a really cool item I thought as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, tons of promo for his games, right? Like mm-hmm. he he produced Maximum Carnage, and and I think you know was kind of creative lead in a lot of ways as well. And um, he had all kinds of Maximum Carnage stuff. He had store banners. Uh, he had a box that had like a wristwatch they made, and and uh, the cassette Cassettes. single from Green Jelly, the band that they commissioned for this, and he had the uh, that big collector's edition that some of you maybe have seen that uh, I think was sold on on Q- QVC for Maximum Carnage is like a big box that comes with the comic and and the game and stuff like that. Um, he had that still in the shrink wrap for which first of all is a little crazy, but then it's signed by the two licensing people at Marvel he worked with, so it's like. I don't know if you felt this way, Kelsey, but it's just like looking at all this stuff together. It's like, I don't want to break up any of this. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's a very personal collection. Yeah. I thought. It's very, yeah. it's a really, it reflects all of the work he's done a lot. You know, that's, that is what he kept is the things that he worked on and touched. And so. And, and what he kept is a reflection of him, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. So we, you know, we, we, we walked him through the options, you know, stuff like the strong museum, stuff like just, you know, we'll digitize everything, leave it here was an option. We'll, or like, you know, maybe we get your paper placed somewhere, but we digitize it because we know you want a copy and we'll just get it all online. Um, right. And still work in progress. We are going back um, probably in September. Um, but yeah, that was Mark. So uh, the, the next big thing we did um, the day after we left the Flipmans was um, I got in contact with Ed Semrat, who I'd, you know, I talked to occasionally just mostly by email over the last 12 years or so. Um, Ed was a columnist for the Milwaukee journal uh, from 1981 to somewhere like 92. I'm not sure exactly when the column ended. It was called video adventures. He's a um, video game columnist specifically. Yes, a video game columnist. He reviewed games every week. 
Um, and or there's something the kind of interesting about that time frame already, if you didn't yes. catch it from 81 to 92. Um, Game Without Crash is in there. And he was basically the only person continuing, you know, among a very, very small number of people and outlets who are continuing to cover video yeah. games through the Game Crash. I mean, we know of two outlets that covered the NES when it came out. It was uh, Computer Entertainer, which we have the archive of here at the foundation, and uh, and Ed. <laughs> I don't know of anyone else who covered the NES launch. Um, so, uh, yeah, in addition to that column, um, Ed hooked up really early with Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine when it started, and... Uh, pretty quickly became its editor in chief. Um, so f- like from 90 to maybe like 97 when, when, uh, when Steve Harris sold it to uh, Ziff Davis. So um, Ed has been out of games since then. As far as I know, I don't think he's touched any video game stuff. Um, he might've written something for that retro mag. I'm not sure because yeah, he, he was part of that campaign. I remember they said that they like that they got Ed's him, back, yeah. but I don't remember <laughs> anything ever actually coming of that. Um, but maybe it did. Yeah, I didn't. I guess we're both admitting we didn't read retro. Um, but uh, you know, essentially, this is someone who's been out of video games since '97 and hasn't really talked about his days at EGM publicly. And um, I was, we were very fortunate to have Ed invite us over to his house uh when i emailed him um letting him know that you know we were going to be in chicago and we'd like to say hi um and so we drove out and uh lovely couple the semreds yeah <laughs> and and to be clear i mean this was we didn't really have any concept of yeah. what he still kept we, a little bit but we also weren't there to evaluate the right collection. this is really this was, a just say hi and keep in touch sort of thing. right yeah. a, i mean sometimes what we do is just building the relationships a little bit and making sure that uh people know our names when they're ready to discuss that exactly. sort of exactly because yeah. not yeah. every i mean as i alluded to with uh mark stuff i mean just this is people's lives and a lot of times they are very attached to their stuff or they just don't want to talk about it. And uh, we try to do our best to respect that, but still. So I I had talked to Ed previously, I should say um, like three years ago about uh, the things he had kept. And I had some notion of it, but um, Ed was like, it all stays here. It's, it's all for my son to figure out when I'm gone. And it's like, great, you know, good to know. Um, and that's that in itself is like valuable information to us, you know, where it's like, okay, we know where you stand. Great. Uh, but again, we just went to say hi. Um, I want to hear more Grandpa Ed stories about EGM, honestly, because I grew up with EGM and, and we got to hear a bunch of them. It yeah. Was great. It was awesome. Um, so, you know, he and his wife, Marianne, were, were, were very uh, entertaining hosts. Uh, they had they had a pot of coffee on when we came and uh, some some Oreo cookies. <laughs> we sat out on the Brought porch. out on a tray, which yep. is the best part. You can't just say it's Oreos. It was Oreos on a tray. That's true. It was served um, to us on a tray. The Semreds are <laughs> both of our new grandparents is, yeah. is what it comes down to. Um, and they have, they have, as you described, a perfect uh, grandparent dog. Yeah. 
<laughs> just <laughs> just big and sweet and you know not doesn't jump on you or anything like that just very right. loving big dog not the first like grandparent giant dog i've encountered like they and <laughs> and both that i knew were the same which is that they are very calm uh but there's still dog in there you know and like oh, yeah, willing to you, play yeah as soon as you throw a ball like it's on <laughs> um so yeah they were like well you know while you're here let's go look at the attic um look at where we keep the games it's like great yeah games we 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 like those um so they have an upstairs attic that um that their nephews play in when they visit and uh they had some old game systems set up and I'm guessing it was Marianne that that organized the games because she organized everything um, because all of the drawers, you know, there's plastic drawers. You pull them out. It's full of Super Nintendo cards. Of course, Kelsey and I went through every one. Don't worry. Yeah, we, did, um, we fanned out and we're just checking for. Yeah, like we kind of stopped talking and started looking. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I say I think Marianne organized it is because like the very last drawer at the end on the bottom, I think, is the I don't know what these are drawer. <laughs> So, so he opened that drawer and it's like, oh, Turbo Graphics EPROMs and Sega Master System <laughs> dev cards and Atari fifty two hundred ROMs. Cool. Um, so I just like that those are upstairs in the attic, just with the other games. Like I don't know, like what was it like Legendary Axe and JJ and Jeff yeah. and stuff like that on like the big EPROM <laughs> boards. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, we we got excited about those and kind of you know. I guess mostly mostly explaining to Marianne what they were because obviously Ed Ed yeah. knows, um, and uh, oh, yeah, there's I mean, that it, huge Miracle Warriors Master System board that I'd never seen before. Oh yeah, before. it was was that the one that was like a like double like double end. It was like a double ender Master yeah. System thing, which yeah. is wild. I've never seen anything yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like the conversation was just going well. So it was like, okay, well, let's just see what else we have. Like, let's, you know, go hang out in the basement and just let's see. go to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> well, and well, before that, Ed was like, let me dig out some more video game stuff. We didn't mention that Ed greeted us at the front door wearing a Street Fighter 2 shirt from the 90s. Yes, that was like still that's true. brand new. <laughs> and then he had like picked it out for that day. Like yes, he was yeah, debating was... between two 90s video game shirts. Oh, do you remember what the other one was? No, it was some Genesis game that I... Don't it, it was just one of those like very random okay. comic book e, but not a comic book I was familiar with. If it's an actual licensed property, got it. Kind yeah. of games, you I know don't what I mean? What it was either. Um, but he was like, well, he he like went to just like his hall closet and his bedroom closet and just start pull started pulling out like jackets. Uh, beautiful embroidered croc jacket that was was that was the most gorgeous one was the was that also a jean jacket am i remembering that no that was which one was the jean jacket there was an embroidered mascot jean jacket well that was the uh sega one with sonic like lounging in a beach oh that's right yeah you're right um but i mean these are just his jackets you know like these are jackets (laughs) he was given in the 90s that are still his jackets and he was he was the EIC of EGM. He got the good stuff. Um, God, that Croc jacket was just... <laughs> it's just, I keep bringing it up because of all games, it's Croc. And like that jacket looks like a $600 jacket. It's just beautiful. Oh, yeah. It was like heavy and... Yeah. Yeah, it's a really nice jacket. Um, I think my favorite was the EA Sports Network jacket, which is still Ed's favorite jacket. Um, 
And he said he used to get in trouble wearing it because um, it was EASN. Um, and that was EA Sports before EA Sports, basically. And uh, ESPN did not like it and threatened legal action, which is why they changed it to EA Sports. Um, but Ed really liked his EASN jacket. It's very comfortable. It fits well. It's just a good jacket. And so he'd continue wearing it at shows and like the EA people would freak out like, you can't wear that. <laughs> <laughs> um but like he still had it. It's like falling apart. But he's like, yeah, it's my favorite jacket. Um, but yeah, and then we made our way down to the basement. And uh, Marianne had had organized all of their things very, very nicely uh, in tubs that were very clearly marked. And I mean, we were there for several hours. We were there at the house for nine hours total, I think. Um they were wonderful hosts uh, to us. And and I think we went through any tub that wasn't specifically like Christmas decorations. Right. Because, I mean, we found a bunch of stuff in a box labeled candles. Right. So, I mean. Just... And they got into it, too. They're like, OK, yeah. let's keep finding stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we helped them organize, um, you know, the games that they had. Um, and they were all over the place. But I'm just trying to remember where, where it kind of started. I think the first tub that we really looked at was pretty old stuff for ed it was like early 80s personal game accomplishment stuff so it was like paperwork related to getting his activision high score patches yeah. and things like that yeah that's exactly it um he actually i think still had his photos that he mailed to activision to get into the activision's newsletter with his high score um he's very proud of that in fact he had his patches framed upstairs in the attic we didn't mention that they're all sun faded unfortunately but yeah but we did end up finding a photo of that frame from before the <laughs> before sun it was sunfish. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Just you know, we just pulled things out, and he'd be like, "Oh wow," you know, because he just hasn't looked at this stuff in like twenty, thirty years. So you know, like uh, letters he was sending to the journal to you know show engagement with this because he would run contests. He's so smart. He would run run contests. Uh, in his column to get like letters in to show engagement to show the paper that like people are still reading this uh yeah i know the industry crashed but look at this you know <laughs> um and uh yeah and then we we found we found all of you know much like mark uh ed kept all his t-shirts and pins that's that's what you do yeah. if you're in the midwest in the gaming industry going to ces you take all the the shirts and the pins and you put them in tubs in the basement. Cause you have a basement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> among the pins, he also kept all of his like badges from these shows. And oh, Kelsey, yeah. got, Kelsey got very excited by one. Uh, oh, I did. Cause one of the, one of the badges had a Watara supervision pin on it, which <laughs> is just wild to me that that exists. That uh, that was a pin. Yeah. CES, that that was an yeah. enamel pin that was made. I think that was E3. No, 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 no. That's he couldn't have guess. been. Yeah. Um, and Ed was like, oh, you, well, if there's another one, you can have it. There's not <laughs> one. We looked, we looked at every pin. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I took, I took photographs of all of the um, press things because it's just, I mean, the sheer amount of press events he attended and just kept his, you know, his credentials with is kind of staggering and especially the Japanese stuff too. I mean, he went, yeah. he was one of the only people going to all of the Japanese events in that time period. And um, even has some of the, uh, I don't know if you've, if anyone has seen photos of um, 
Japanese press events and stuff, but sometimes they'll have these like big colorful armbands that say press on them to like very clearly distinguish them as opposed to just a little badge. So he had some of those as well. Um, business cards. Uh, and yeah, like, like Frank said, a whole lot of pins and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, we were sorting all of that out. Um, and eventually we found his tub of NES games, Yeah, which, you know, to, to someone like Ed, who is running a magazine um, or a column at the time uh, and reviewing games, there's kind of no difference between the pre-production cartridges and the retail ones. It's just whatever he was sent. We didn't find his NES, which I was a little disappointed by because I'm pretty sure he got it early. Um, so I was curious about serial number or lack of. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, we did find his Rob. I don't know if Rob is supposed to have stickers, but this one didn't. Yeah. I didn't bother looking it up because I, it's I just, forgot to look that up too. Because I was like, "Oh, what's the serial number on the rub?" But then realized I don't actually know if the rubs have serial numbers. I yeah. assume they do, but I'm not really sure. Well, if not, if they do, uh, then Ed has one pre-serial numbers that's just caked in garage dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you should talk about some of the cool stuff in the NES pile since that's your wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, we we pulled out a lot of. Um, you know, EEPROM, what you might call prototype cartridges. I just, I should just use that word because that is the term, but I, I don't agree with it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, development carts with, with uh, EEPROMs on them that, that may contain code that isn't finished uh, or was never shipped. Um, and uh, we didn't look, I mean, we ended up digitizing, which I think we'll tell that story in a, in a minute. Um, most of them, but you know, we didn't look like closely at any of the NES games. But um, uh, I'm looking now. Oh wait, I don't. That's the wrong SD card. <laughs> I'm gonna put in an SD card and look at what we did. <laughs> okay, I guess I guess uh, pause or cut this part out. Well, or don't. That. I don't care. Sure. Who cares? It's more boring for fun, listeners than it's a sure. fun podcast. So right. I'm already done. I'm, I'm okay. Quick. All right. Um, I've got them all. Yeah. Up. So like Super Dodgeball, uh, Boy and His Blob, uh, what else? Akari War, like a bunch of SNK stuff. So like Akari 2, POW, I think Gorilla War, um, Sky Kid, Super C was in there. Like I'm just naming things that I'm like, oh yeah, I played that one as a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, among the, what's the count here? He had 27 is my count. He had a few more that we didn't, we couldn't dump. Well, the only ones we couldn't dump, if I recall correctly, are, were the Tengen ones. I think that's probably true. Yeah, like um, we are the equipment we brought just didn't have plugins for these particular Tengen games. Um, and so we didn't, you know, we, we could go in and desolder the ROMs or whatever. But it, it and again, we're going it. back. So yeah, and we're going back. But, <laughs> um, but God, actually, I, I count 26 here. So we, we digitized 26 games and Three of the 26 uh, not only were unreleased games, which is a remarkable percentage already, uh, they're also unreleased games that we had not encountered before. Yeah, um, so brand so. new. I mean, they, they uh, mostly were known unreleased games, except oh, yeah. for, well, we'll get to that. But um, Except for the weird one that yeah. blew our minds, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but they weren't ever, you know, they were never found or dumped. There was no, right. like, this was the first time we encountered them. So 
that's exciting. So one of them is uh, Crazy Land. Uh, Which is a kind great of a... Famicom game. It's all right. I like it. Oh, how far did you get? It just gets uh, stupid. Okay. Oh, okay. That's the problem. Like, I it, never like, finish me- NES games. Sure. So mechanically, <laughs> it's good. Uh, but the further you get, it just gets it just gets stupid. Okay. Um, in terms of difficulty, I completely like that. believe that. Um, but uh, so Crazy Land, based on a Famicom game, theme park platformer, you kick a soccer ball around at your enemies. Um, and uh, it was I don't remember who published it originally, and it was going to be published here by NT Vic originally, and that's the build that we have here. Um, one of the one of two games I can think of that was canceled by two different publishers in the U S so <laughs> NT Vic first. And then, um, American Softworks picked it up ASC games and they replaced the characters with trolls and they called it trolls in crazy land. Um, they kept the crazy land name, which I respect. It's like, that's good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, trolls in crazy land also did not ship here though. It did come out in Europe weirdly. Um, so he had that one, like the proper American NT Vic version, which we appreciated seeing. Um, not too much different, different ending text I found. Um, and then the one I think I'm still more excited about even more than the the weird one um, is uh, Super Sushi Pinball. Uh, we'll just let it's... that name sort of linger for a second. Super Sushi Pinball. What do you um, think Super Sushi Pinball is about? <laughs> yeah, if you out, said folks. sushi... You would be wrong, actually. You'd be half right. (laughs) (laughs) So Super Sushi Pinball, again, is based on a game that did come out in Japan called Super Pinball. Uh, Doesn't have sushi in the name in Japan. Uh, Good reason for that, which is that it's not a sushi-themed pinball game. And yet, it's called Super Sushi Pinball for this U.S. version. Um, This is already exciting to me before we even get into the game because... Um, Super Sushi Pinball was one of the three games that ImageSoft announced when they got into the video game business. And ImageSoft uh, is Sony, Sony Records doing video games, basically. And uh, while there was a Japanese presence, this was basically the introduction of the company that folded in and became Sony Computer Entertainment. So like, it's almost the beginning of PlayStation in a weird way, are these three games. Only it is one at least of the, in the U.S. Right, at least in the U.S. And only one of the three came out, which is Super Dodgeball. And then there was Super Sushi Pinball. And then we're still missing Super Rescue. Um, which again, shipped in Japan. Yes. As I forget what it's called. but Yes, and that is the other game that comes to mind that was canceled by two different publishers here, <laughs> actually. Because <laughs> that, was, that was canceled by ImageSoft. And then uh, ASCII was going to release it as Blaze Busters. Um, and if you know your Famicom library, I don't know the name of it, but it's the one where you're bouncing firemen off a uh, off like a trampoline or whatever the, the whatever that they hold out to catch people who fall from the roofs. You're bouncing firemen off of, from that to rescue people in a burning building from their windows. But anyway, Super Sushi Pinball. Um, you turn on the game. There is a brand new cutscene that is not present in the Japanese version, Super Pinball, and it is the Statue of Liberty. Uh, making you a piece of tuna nigiri. Um, she slams it on the table and she's like, here's your sushi. I'm the Statue of Liberty. Um, and then that is followed by a text scroll that goes on way too long. 
Um, in fact, hang on. I have a video I recorded, so I'm going to look at the timestamps here. 10 seconds. There's a text scroll that goes on for a minute and 43 seconds, <laughs> which is a long time to read just white text scrolling slowly on a, back, a black background. And this text scroll is just like the history of sushi. <laughs> sushi was invented in Japan because they put rice around the fish to preserve the fish. And sushi's really popular, and people in the U.S. like it because it's low in calories. And, and they invented like the California roll, and now Yeah, when sushi came the- to America. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes through some, like, sushi terms, like, you know, some words you might want to know if you're ordering sushi. Yes, and it's like, and in America, we call them sushi bars, and if you're in a sushi bar, there's a counting system. So like one sushi is this and and, and this long scroll, uh, like I said, a minute 40 or whatever. And at the end, it's like there is no sushi theming in this pinball game uh, <laughs> that you're about to play. But we thought this would, you know, you'd enjoy reading about some sushi. We have hidden some sushi in this game. Good luck. And you press start says super sushi pinball like flashing colors you press start choose how many players and then you play a pinball machine that is car themed yeah it's it starts as sort of like a like a 50s looking you know cars and gas stations kind of aesthetic yeah and eventually goes into some like sci-fi stuff and yeah. space themed boards and, and that sort of thing but uh yeah no no sushi nope so if you get a game over <laughs> You see the Statue of Liberty again, and she shrugs and then sips some tea, and then it says "game over." In like a know. in like a Japanese style yes. mug, absolutely, like, yeah. Um, but if you find the hidden sushi by, I mean, essentially, you know, completing enough pinball goals, it's the equivalent of beating this machine. Um, kind of you know, common in video pinball. There's a way to beat it, but you keep going. Um, so you can spawn a piece of sushi, and it cycles through different kinds of fish. And it tells you what kind you get when you collect it. And then you see the ending. And the ending's like, wow, you really like sushi. But to be a sushi master, you must learn how to use the chopsticks. And the ending of this game is a visual tutorial, uh, beautifully drawn. Yeah, really good one, actually. And animated <laughs> and very you know, clear instructions on how to use chopsticks. And that's the ending of this game. Um, I love this thing. This it's is fantastic. I mean, it's kind of like it's almost like when we found Bioforce Ape, and it's like, wow, this is even weirder <laughs> than the name sounded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the, I had read in a preview, like you know, it's a pinball game, and it starts with an explanation of sushi. I was like, but really? It's like, no, it really does. <laughs> like, that, like, that's exactly what it does. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, we were really excited by that. And then And we should mention that um we actually had a lot of trouble digitizing this one at first. Oh yeah. And, it was it was our fault. <laughs> well, sure, but I mean, so you know, some the equipment that we were using on this trip was uh an analog NT, which is useful for uh for digitizing NES ROMs. So be a little specific here, just say anti mini because there is an NT that doesn't. Sorry, come. you're right. Yeah. Um, and when we were, you know, 
putting this cartridge in that system, there were some lines down the screen, like some vertical lines that just were always present, even when you wiggled the cartridge, even when we, you know, cleaned it, we saw like tiny little bit of solder that might have been on the trace that you you pointed out. You're like, maybe that's it. Um, we called in someone who, you know, is better with electronics than both of us to really examine it and, you know, got the multimeter out and even, at, you know, ended up desoldering the, the well yeah he's like well you know I'm, I'm 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 measuring the traces there's nothing wrong should be fine so we put it back in still still exhibiting that behavior yeah he, he desoldered the rom um i dumped the rom directly uh you know because as opposed to i mean i'll back up because we're getting kind of technical so it's like the device that we brought the idea is you put a cartridge in because it's just a console but instead of playing the game we we run a program that uh, instead of just playing the cartridge, it takes the data off of it and puts it on an SD card and then we put it in a computer. Um, so that wasn't working. So what we did instead was we took the actual board that was inside the, the case and the actual ROM chip, we melted the solder in order to remove it from the board. And then I have uh, in our kit um, a, a reader slash writer for these ROM chips and, and we write it directly that way. And um, I'm still having trouble getting that direct read to run. Um, if you're technically inclined with the NES at all, basically this, this is getting really in the weeds, but whatever uh, this game uses uh, like CHR Ram. So there's like extra graphics Ram. And I didn't quite know how to like tell the header that there was extra CHR Ram. So then it was like, okay, well, Let's put the cartridge back in and dump it as a cartridge after we soldered the ROM back in. That way, the program will tell me the header I need, and then I will apply the header from what we think is that dirty ROM to what we think is this clean ROM, and that should do it. So we dump what we thought was a dirty ROM, and we tested it, and it just worked without issue. And we realized, oh, there's nothing wrong with the cartridge. It's just that the analog anti-mini which is not original nes hardware it's new nes hardware this specific prototype cartridge with this specific game that no one's ever seen before so couldn't be tested is exhibiting behavior that the author of this clone console could not have accounted for could not have accounted <laughs> yeah. for and that's all it was so uh sent capturous the rom like literally right then and explain the situation <laughs> Fix your stuff, man. Um, <laughs> you disappoint me. How could you not know about this game that there's one copy of? Um, but yeah, we successfully digitized that. Um, but yeah, and there was a third unreleased game for the NES that Ed had that you found. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how into the weeds we want to get uh, into with this. But so to back up a little bit, a lot of you guys might be familiar with some of the work we did um, for the uh, programmer Chris Oberth, who passed away. That was, uh, if you've read our Days of Thunder article, um, that was, you know, his work that was resurrected off of hard drive backups and, and that sort of thing. He had power another baseball. Power well. baseball. Yeah. He had another um, NES game that, again, had to be rebuilt. And I'm vastly oversimplifying. It was a ton of work and, <laughs> you know, finding the right tools and everything. But he had an NES game that, no one had ever heard of um, called Excavator. And it was this, you know, it's a demo. It's a kind of cool, uh, like, controls like asteroids. And it's like a resource mining in space kind of game. Um, yeah. 
with like very some, classic like arcade yeah know, with like, some like, like racing elements in it and yeah. stuff too because that's Oberth's background you know he's like arcade and apple too so it's yeah just, it's, it's a video game yeah you know? and it's 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 pretty cool um yeah. but it was just this this demo that you know was never announced in any magazine it um well it never had a publisher never right? had a so, publisher it yeah. was very much just like demo that chris Oberth made that and, yeah and and our and our assumption was like okay no one's ever seen this like this is something that was just done internally they might have pitched some companies to try to pick it up and finish it uh but there were obviously no backers because it no one backed it because the it was never announced, and I would know if it was announced because yes, that's, yeah, that's, that's your something life I've, yeah. I've yeah exactly, <laughs> um, and and you know, um, long story short, when we um, talked to uh, Incredible Technologies after that Power Up Baseball article, we mentioned this game, and uh, uh, we'll talk about this way more in detail later, but we're we're going to publish it. Um, because uh, they, they've actually allowed us to, they've, they've gifted us the ability to to publish the game as a fundraiser. So, and it's it's what, unfinished right now. So, yeah, you know, it, it was a three level demo of no of music six level. Yeah, no music. Yeah. Literally a prototype. Yeah, like that's that's why I don't like the designation prototype for like finished games on right. reusable media. Because <laughs> like, no, a prototype is this thing. <laughs> you know, right. it's like unfinished. Uh, we're just trying this out. Does this work? Thing, but. Yeah, Kelsey's going through the NES games and like she's just kind of froze like her brain yep. was broke. Yeah, my my brain just kind of stopped because in short circuited because, again, this was not a game that we yeah. expected to ever. I mean, it might have existed. On it was a in Ed's basement for some reason. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I, I pulled out a copy of Excavator and, yeah. you know, just kind of without being able to form words, handed it to Frank, who... <laughs> had a string of expletives to say (laughs) it was like just the weirdest thing i mean the best thing that we can come up with because there's no way that um and ed agrees with this there's no way that egm would have like started review like they wouldn't have sent this to review well egm as a as an editorial policy wouldn't even cover games that weren't done yet it's like if you send us something it's done and that's right. what we're looking at. So like they would not have seen, even if this game had a publisher, they wouldn't have gotten it early. In this state. W- right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, you you were saying we have only one real theory. Yeah, which is just that Incredible Technologies and EGM are both in the Chicago area. And that, you know, this might have just been a sort of like, hey, you're in Chicago. Um, we're pitching this game. Do you think it's on the right track or something? Yeah. You know, something along those lines. Yeah, um, and that's totally easy to imagine, right? It's like, hey, we're we're looking for a publisher. Like, are we? Is this any good? You know, yeah. like if if you is were looking at this game, pursuing. For, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the best theory we could come up with. But man, found our game. Yeah, the, we're just showing Ed. It was like, this is our game. <laughs> like, we're <laughs> we're literally publishing this game. This is crazy. Yeah, they they really enjoyed that story, and I don't know. I mean, I just I can't think of a weirder thing to find like i there was absolutely no way that in in my head there was no way we were ever going to find a physical cartridge of this that right it's only weirder if it's like i don't know mario 4 or something sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> what um so yeah i mean we yeah we ended up borrowing those games for a couple nights to go back and 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 
and digitized because we weren't really prepared to do that at his house. Well, again, we came to his house not expecting anything other than a social visit. And, yeah. You know, we didn't expect the Semrads to 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 open their basement to us. But other things worth talking about non-gaming. I mean, like, you know, Ed's such a character. Ed, Ed bounces from obsession to obsession. His current one's fishing. Um, in the 70s and 80s, his obsession was uh, recording complete runs of television shows on VHS. Um he has gotten rid of the VHSs, but he transferred them all to DVD. And so, you know, in his basement are like, God, like 50 boxes, maybe that yeah, are very clearly, clearly labeled. labeled. And this is like Perry Mason episodes one through 85, you know, Gunsmoke episodes 101 through whatever. And um, and all of those were Ed just recording off TV in the 70s and 80s. It's what he was into really early on. He was always like interested in electronics and media. Um we were talking to him about it and he's like, yeah, it used to be really annoying. Cause you know, they, they like play him in order. Uh, but sometimes an episode wouldn't play cause there was like a ball game or a presidential address or something. And I'd have to wait like another year for this episode to like air. Um, but I mean that I like that as an example of Ed because, uh, that ethos really drove EGM in his era. Uh, he was, he was a completionist when it came to the magazine, having screenshots of anything that had screens. Yeah. Which I mean, means he went to extreme lengths that other magazines did not go to usually for a good reason. I mean, yeah. some of the stuff that he did in order to get, you know, in order to have a magazine that showcased literally anything that was in development. Right. Um, meant that he was doing things that the publishers did not want him to be doing. Like, yeah. you know, maybe secretly recording things or um, distracting someone so he could <laughs> record something. Yeah, that was an actual thing they would do. They would, like, distract someone while someone went in and, like, rerouted the video signal so they could record it. Or, like, Ed would, you know, go upstairs to a balcony with, like, a, a zoom lens to, like, photograph a screen he's not supposed to photograph. One of the other editors who was there, I think it was Ray Price, uh, told us that Ed's office, um, when you went in, had uh, on the wall just pasted up, like, dozens of photographs of signs that say no photographs. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, I love. Yeah. As, and as someone who stole the sign from the stadia booth when they were tearing it down that said no photos. <laughs> I resonate with that. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that that to me is what made EGM EGM, or especially as an historian now, because it's like, you know, their CES coverage is like, here's literally every game. And, and there's photos in there of games where like the only visual record we have of these games ever existing is the photos that Ed took at the show. Right. I mean, he wasn't doing this to be a good, future you know a good friend to future historians but right. oh my god was he you know yeah. like it was this is how we know about a lot of these things is just his era of egm and yep. that's enormous and so you know for both of us of course we were really really hoping he kept his negatives because if there's one screenshot in there that means he probably took several you know photos yeah. of, of several um and you know those are those are long gone sadly but we did find some photos that I'm actually very excited about. Um, we found a box. This was the candles box, by the way, for those <laughs> for those keeping score. Um, we found a box that was basically his swan song that never got printed. Um, 
And so in 97 or 98 or whenever this was, um, he got EGM to pay for him to travel around the world and cover what are video games in this era in all of these different countries. So he went to Germany, to Sweden, to China, to Brazil. And I mean, this is the only English record to my knowledge of so many of these places and what video games looked like well, in those photos places. too. Like he's a photographer with yeah. a good camera and he's got, you know, pictures of like Dendi stores in Russia in right. 97, which is like when Dendi's really a thing, you know, like it, it sounds late, but it's like, no, they were playing Dendi in 97. Absolutely. Um, so and... it's huge. And this was meant to be published in EGM, but it ended up being, I think he wrote, what, 15,000 words? Yeah, it was supposed to be 5,000. Like he delivered 15,000. He has a printout of his article in there along with the photos. And uh, yeah, it never got published. Um, but it's something that, again, we're going back. We're going to see him again. Um, a big part of going back. Well, we didn't even mention all the Atari EPROMs. Like, yeah, right. he has a ton of like, uh the review cards that were sent to him at the at at the at the journal um really i think the theme of what was there was that he didn't really take home from egm it was just stuff that came in the yeah. mail to his house for the most part um before and after egm um and uh we did yeah, go so through all of that stuff to make sure that there was nothing you know incredibly pressing meaning like an unreleased game yeah. that with no uh you know with no any kind of right like he had several online. unreleased games on 5200 he had like looney tunes and meeb zork and stuff like that and you know anything he had that was unreleased <laughs> yeah meeb zork i know I um that. and we we went and looked and it's like there is at least a rom of these online that's not to say like oh we shouldn't even bother dumping these no, just, of we, were, we're, we, we were we were ill-equipped <laughs> yeah we were ill-equipped and on a time crunch we're going back yeah. um but um and you know, there might be more as well because uh, his son took some games. So we're, we're hoping to, to visit him as well. And I mean, we didn't even mention that Ed also kept all the magazines. So yeah. uh, he had three extremely heavy tubs that uh, um, I was probably the only one there who could lift um, of, uh, of EGM magazines. And starting from, you know, issue one, he had several of each issue. Um, and what was really cool to me is you starting in maybe 92 EGM was poly bagged with extra stuff and all of his are still in the poly. So um, now we can go through all of our inserts. Yes. It's, I mean, <laughs> you know, you'd think that there might be some record of like what went with what, but no, that's, that's kind of what we're building right now. I mean, there, yep. <laughs> there's not really a record of which insert went with which magazine in a lot of cases. So, um, his still sealed ones are going to be pretty valuable and like, okay, yeah. all right, this random, you know, leaflet or whatever goes with this issue. Yeah. If there's time next time, I'm just going to photograph the front and back of each bag issue. Yeah. And so when we go back to the library, I mean, I really, we do have like, it's probably like a foot tall of just magazine inserts that yeah. it's like that are orphans that we don't know where they go. So that could be valuable info there. But, um, I mean, other stuff for me that was cool there, he had, you know, any any variant cover, he had, he had one of each of. Um, mm -hmm. Anything that was weird with EGM, like there's there's an issue that, that had Road Rash on the cover that had to be recalled and, and, and edited, um, but he has, you know, a before and after. It's really hard to see. So now I know what to look for, um, which I really have to do. Um, 
It's just like the Honda name on the bike blacked it, out. It's not right? even the name. There's no oh. Honda name on it. Yeah. It's just like a, a, a like a plate on the bike that had to be covered with like a square block. Mm. Um, I don't know why. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, that was the biggest part of the trip. We 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 borrowed the EEPROM carts uh, for a couple nights and we, we set up a little uh, home base in our hotel. We rented a meeting room. We invited some 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 friends with tech experience over to help um, and friends with like equipment that we needed that we didn't have. Um, and we had a little dumping party, um, which was cool. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going kind of long. That's, that's really the two like big visits for us. The rest of us, the rest of it was just kind of catching up with people. I think the maybe worth mentioning is catching up with incredible technologies, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, Incredible Technologies is, was a really cool visit because we ended up meeting up with, uh, it was meant to just be like one or two people. It ended up being kind of a party because on our like second or third day in Chicago, we got an email from, oh, yeah. um, I forget what his official title is, but he's in, he's in marketing. Um, and he was just like, hey, you know, I, I saw your Chris Oberth work, you know, Chris worked at Incredible Technologies. Um, and he's like, I'm starting to go through all of our source and that sort of thing. And, you know, can we talk? And we're like, great timing. We're meeting with your boss in two days. So <laughs> why don't you just come along? Um, so he did. And we found out uh, his name is Kevin. And we found out that he is just the best person they could have possibly hired. I don't know <laughs> if, if you guys listened to episode 39 that we did with Matt Van Roon about the Tex Murphy tapes. Uh, he is there, Matt Van Roon. He is the he, fan, yeah. the golden tea fan that you know got himself hired and is now doing all of the sort of extracurricular work of archiving everything finding everything and archiving it it's not all extracurricular they actually do have reasons uh business sure, reasons yeah. to go through it too uh you know for like arcade one up for example did that golden tea cabinet and they were able to provide some source for that um and uh i think the coolest thing they told us about well i i don't know if it's public so i'm just not going to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> The, the vintage courses yeah. thing. I just don't know if that's a thing that's happened yet. So yeah. Whatever. Um, the point is there's someone there who's now going through that stuff and that's really exciting. And um, reaching out to us for like help, but yeah. also to like contribute to our archive with their work, right? Which is well, really cool. Well, and with trade magazines because oh, Incredible yeah. I mean, Technology that, that came up. Yeah. Yeah, kept a lot of their old, um, you know, coin-op trade magazines and those are a lot more difficult as you can probably imagine for the library to acquire than like Nintendo power or EGM. So we're still missing a lot of that. And um, so incredible technologies was uh, very, very nice in uh, they're going, they're going to send us a lot of copies of stuff that we're missing, which is great. Did you reply to him? I didn't. Uh, no, I thought you okay, did. I will. <laughs> Busy day. Yeah. Um, long day. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, it was really fun. We had, you know, we had Jim Zielinski there. Um, we had um, the, the, God, uh, Hodgman, I think, or Hodgson, the, the, the co-creator of Golden Tea. I'm such a jerk, but, you know, like we had the Golden <laughs> Tea, you know, people there um, along with like the current VP and the current marketing guy. And we were just yeah. hanging out, sipping uh, beer, eating. Uh, oh, what was the, it was a Reuben egg roll they ordered. Yeah, yeah, it was a. Yeah, those were really good. Well, my review is that, okay, okay. this particular yeah. Reuben egg roll 
whatever, but the concept is right. Yes. They, they ordered it. We were not hungry because we had just eaten. Yeah. And they ordered it and we're like, oh, God, we actually have to try that because that sounds amazing. Yeah. And it was a little underwhelming for what I thought was a really spectacular concept. But but, but I don't the concepts. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't it wasn't like right. messed up. It was just it could have been better. Uh, That's anyways, the most important is, aspect yeah, of this trip. And if you're from Chicago, we calls. were very full because we had just eaten at Pequod's. So. Right. Yeah. That'll do it. Um, what else? We had a we had a Cubs game we had tickets for. It got rained out, even though it didn't rain. So that was weird. Yeah, um, it, was, it was the last game before All-Star Week. And so I assume they were just like, eh, we don't want to deal with delays. So we're just going to reschedule it. But it was frustrating because it was a... Uh, for any sports fan listeners, I assume there's a couple of you. It was a, a Cubs-Cardinals game. It was a rivalry game. And we had expensive tickets because I really like baseball. And I just wanted that to be like the day off activity. Um, so it, it getting rained out was almost a blessing because that meant that we had time to dump pretty much all of Ed's stuff. Yeah, our without... dumping party was happened because of that. Yeah, yeah we, well, we I mean, we went, that went until almost 11 p.m. that night. And then we... Went and got dinner at a, a Omega Pancake House, which Omega is Pancake still House. my favorite name for any yeah. any restaurant. Check Kelsey's Twitter to see uh, a excellent photo from the Omega Pancake House. Of, yeah, it's of some, some of good good frog food. cupcakes. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the you know we we visited some friends like Tim Lapatino. Uh, we saw uh, Brian Smolik, uh, who was and Josh of, Sway, yeah, both of which were former guests on the show. Yep, exactly. Um, did we get a picture with them? I don't think we did. No, we forgot. That's so stupid. We had yeah. two guests in the same room. We didn't get a picture. Um, I'm getting better at remembering to take photos, but not perfect. <laughs> We um, did take some good photos on this trip. Both of those are really good episodes, too. Go back and listen oh, yeah. to those. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Those are among my favorites by far. Um, yeah, but, I you mean, know, I, you're I in think... Chicago. You meet up with Midway folk like that. Yeah, and I mean, we also met up with uh, Roger Sharp. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've the rest of the trip that wasn't actively, you know, basement digging and digitizing was really just setting up what we need to do for next time um, and talking with a lot of these people who were then referring us to other people. And I mean, Chicago is kind of a, a project now that, yeah. you know, and I think that was, that's obvious in retrospect because the, there's, there was a whole industry there, of course. Um, but once we got there, it became even more clear, you know, like, okay, there's a lot of people here uh, who we need to be talking to in order to support our mission. And not only that, um, I might be wrong, but I suspect that, especially when we're talking about like incredible technologies, that, uh, that these guys don't get a lot of um, interest from people like us from the like traditional video game world. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think, I think the coin op, sector especially the one that's still alive you know like i think that that's not even included in the conversation most times i think that when people are thinking of video game history it's like golden tea isn't something that really comes up as a discussion topic even though it's one of the largest games ever made and it's still going the same creative team has been doing it for 20 years for god's sake they have like Like, tournaments and stuff that have been running for decades i mean yeah it's you have to be careful when uh, 
you're dealing with video game history to not fall into the trap of it just being like the sort of popular zeitgeist stuff that you focus on because a lot of stuff does get left behind and um you know obviously it's important to us to make sure we're covering as much ground as possible it's not all possible you know obviously so much stuff in japan is just not currently realistic for us to pursue with (laughs) our limited japanese and all of that but um you know i mean it's it's all important it's all part of the the bigger picture yeah, we get asked about Japan a lot, and it's like, yeah, I agree. That's it's extremely important, important, but also we're not is. equipped to deal with it at nearly as effectively as we are to deal with a lot of the other yeah, stuff. and I wish there was an us in Japan. Um, you know, there is the Game Preservation Society. Uh, again, see a past show. We had a past show with them, mm-hmm. but um, and, and there is some notion of what we're doing. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean. I, one of the biggest challenges we face here, and I'm sure we talked about this in that last Q&A episode because I'm getting deja vu, is just like we have to focus on what we're the most effective at. And um, as I'm saying that, it's like we 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 just discussed that we need to go to the UK. So maybe, 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 we, maybe we aren't just in the US or whatever. But yeah, we, you know, going to Chicago and meeting all these people who don't talk to people about preservation of their work. Like that's, that's where we can make the biggest impact on our mission. And that's, that's why we do it. Yep. Exactly. That was a good ending. Look at that. Yeah. Let's just do that. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, this, this ran kind of long, but I, I don't, hopefully I don't people don't minds. mind. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're going to, this is probably the only content we're producing for this Chicago trip that we went on, but it's an ongoing project. A lot of these are still sort of like, you know, stories that have not ended yet. So yeah, we haven't told these stories to anyone else. So yeah, I don't know. Like yeah. you as the listener, you're the only one getting these. <laughs> wow. Anyway, this has been the video game history hour. Um, and, uh, I'm sure there's some pre-recorded uh, preamble that goes after this. It tells you there where to is. subscribe and I stuff say like it. that. Yeah, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> so um, here it is. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter at Game History Hour or email us at podcast at gamehistory.org. Did you know that the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at gamehistory.org slash donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. 